0: to the ttor show i of course if you couldn't tell by the little description down here mttor and the guy to what appears to be my left is none other than brett keen say hello brett
1: hey everybody make sure you connect with us on rumble and twitter we're streaming through a lot of different locations right now including youtube follow us everywhere and of course this stream will be up on the radio
0: Absolutely. And that was actually a point I was going to bring up really quick, too, is that tonight we're streaming on multiple platforms. We're streaming to Brett's Twitter account. We're streaming to my Twitter account. We're streaming to my Rumble channel. We're streaming to Brett's Rumble channel. And then Brett threw in his YouTube channel just to have an even Stephen five, even though that's an odd number. <laughs> Maybe five's the magic number. I don't know. Equals five fingers or one hand. But yep, we're streaming on all the platforms, and should things get weird on YouTube, you know that you have two different Rumble channels and two different Twitter accounts you can watch this stream on if you need to. Which you should be able to find the links to my Rumble and Twitter channels in the description box of my streams, so that that's something that you guys can look for there. And as for Brett, he can give you the links to the other streams if he so chooses. So, I hear that you were going through a rough time recently with your family and your daughter. What was the surgery she needed?
1: Well, she was born with meningitis, which caused a condition called the hydrocephalus. It's a condition that causes what, in the old days, was referred to as water in the brain. So, what ends up happening is she, this, she went through nine surgeries as a baby, And then recently, she was doing just fine, but suddenly she started falling down. Then uh, my wife took her to uh, the hospital. We weren't sure it was going to be a serious deal or I would have went along with at this point. Unfortunately, my daughter had a seizure while in the parking lot of the hospital. Ended up having some doctors and nurses come out. They did the surgery. We expected this to be months and months of issue. But they did it and said she could be home in the next couple of days and she is home right now. She's recovering. She's watching television and hopefully I don't have the volume up so high that she's got to hear me in here mumbling incoherent as her daddy tends to do. But she's she's good and that's why I'm in a more upsy type of mood right now.
0: Yeah, as bad as what she went through this past weekend is, that is quite the good news to hear that she's already home. And recovering so that is definitely a bit of a miracle
1: five in the morning on new year's Oof, goodness gracious
0: yeah that's that's a real shame but even though she is doing a lot better now i think before we get into the stream further and more importantly before we get to the main event i'd like to take a minute to pray over her and your family and You know, just to cover those bases before we move forward, because you and your family is more important to me than doing a presentation on the historical Jesus, even though that's why we're here tonight. (laughs) You know what I mean?
1: Well, I'm really happy to be here with you, and the topic of Jesus Christ and what he's done in our lives and and all that, um, it definitely brings a more positive morale. So I really appreciate you doing this. You couldn't have picked a better time.
0: Apparently so, but let's pray. Lord, I am glad that Brett and me and those who are watching this stream, whether it be on X or Rumble or Brett's YouTube channel, I am glad that we can be together to basically congregate digitally, that we can exchange information and ideas, and more importantly, the truth about you without having to suffer any major legal repercussions. Although Lord, you know that day is coming in the future. It is quite the good news to hear that Brett's daughter, despite having the falls and having the seizure outside the hospital and the surgery, it is nothing short of a miracle or your providence, whichever one it is, that she is already home and recovering. I just pray, Lord, that you keep your hand over her so that she can continue to progress in the healing process from this particular event. And I just pray that you keep your hand over the Keen family and that you will keep everyone in good health and good spirits and of sound mind, especially as we look at this crazy, wacky, tabacky world that we live in. And we see all the insanity going on all around us, especially in western countries like the united states of america so i just pray that you be with the Keens going forward not just in what their daughter went through but in all their affairs and i pray for the spiritual well-being of everyone involved in this stream either on the show or watching in the audience in your name amen amen all right so i see you there joe (laughs) And I also see Vekel there. And, well, yeah, I see that other guy, too. But this is not a show about taxes. <laughs> okay, let's get my presentation on the road. Just got to see. Okay, I guess I'll just have to share my entire screen. Share. Can you see my... Uh, Open Office, Impress on screen, Brett?
1: It's coming through quite clear, sir.
0: All right. And is it the full screen coming through too?
1: It looks like everything you're trying to get on the screen is showing up well.
0: So we're only seeing the slides, right?
1: We're seeing the historical Jesus all the way down to Justin Derby with a blue background.
0: Sweet. So as you can see from the top, tonight's presentation that I'm going to give is called The Historical Jesus. I actually put this presentation together back in 2017 and presented it to the now defunct Institute for Creation Science up in Gresham, Oregon. But then a couple of years ago, I gave this presentation on my Joshua TV channel under a different series that no longer exists. But, you know, this is a new year and this is a new time because nobody on Rumble, nobody on Twitter. And certainly nobody on Quarter or any of the other sites I currently upload to have seen this presentation before. So this is a good time to do it for those guys, but it's also a good time to tell the truth about the historical Jesus and show that the Jesus of history and the Jesus of the Gospels are one and the same. Now, as for me, myself, in case you're wondering about who I am, I have been a follower of the way or a Christian for 18 years. Basically, I got saved when I was 15 after growing up in a Christian home, and I'm still a Christian, a follower of the way to this day. And I started doing apologetics back in 2013 on blogspot.com, which is where TTOR originated, and I'm still going strong in that regard. Of course, I'm now also a TV producer for my church, so A lot of my time is spent working on content for them instead of my own ministry, but I still find a way to get stuff like this done. This here on the screen is my website, which you can find at ttor.site. It is a vast improvement over my previous website, and here you can find all my social media accounts. You can find my past God TV radio live streams. You can find past episodes of the TTOR show You can find guest speaking information about getting me as a guest speaker. You also have pages for the various books that I've done. And even though I haven't done a whole lot of them, you can even find blog posts on the site. This on screen is my YouTube channel, which I don't really care too much about at this point due to all the censorship they've been engaging in for a long time. But I'm still on YouTube and I still upload videos offline. I just don't stream there anymore. This is my Rumble channel, which is one of the places we're streaming to tonight. I've been getting a lot more engagement on Rumble than I have on YouTube for quite a while now. Getting good views, the sub count is growing, and it's just a more lively happening place for people like me who cover the kind of content that I do. I'm also on BitChute, where I have over 2,300 subs, and I have, I think, close to 700,000 total video views now making me one of the top creators on BitChute in terms of subscriber count and total video views. I think I'm actually in the top five or maybe the top 7% of creators on the site, which is quite remarkable to think about for someone like me. And then, of course, I'm on YouTube, which is another YouTube alternative. And then I have a Quarter channel, which Quarter is an open source tech alternative to YouTube that I started back in late May of last year and i definitely cherish this website more than anything because i'm the one who runs it and manages it and there's real freedom for christians to speak and tell the truth on my site so that's another place you can find my ministry content there's also my x account which is another place we're streaming to tonight formerly known as twitter and definitely much better now in terms of speaking your mind than old twitter was Then here's my Gab account, which I still maintain and have over 1,400 followers. Here I am on Getter, where I have over 400 followers. And here I am on Truth Social, which is Evil Orange Man's Twitter alternative, which I'm on there sometimes, and I usually just share my content on it. But it's a nice place to be if you're all about Evil Orange Man. And I say that in sarcasm, of course. And this is my Creation Social account, which Creation Social is an open source alt tech alternative to Facebook that I started over two years ago. It's still online, still going strong, and is a good place to go if you want to not just interact with me, but also interact with other people who like to speak their mind and not have to worry about censorship. So now that you know who I am a little bit and you know all the places you can find me, I think there's a very important question that needs to be asked. Why am I an apologist? Why am I doing this whole apologetics thing where I give a defense for the historical Jesus? Well, it's pretty simple, actually. When you read the scriptures, you realize that we as followers of the way are commanded to defend our faith through apologetics. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And when you look at the Greek words for being prepared to give an answer to everyone, I think that's the phrase where the Greek word apologia is found, which is where the word apologetics come from. And that's really all apologetics is. Well, it's part of what apologetics is. It's providing evidence for the truthfulness of your worldview. And in particular, it's in relation to the biblical worldview, but there is a second part to it because Not only are we called to defend our faith through apologetics, not only are we called to defend our faith by presenting evidence of its truthfulness, but we're also called to debunk other worldviews. As 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, "...we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ." So it's not just a matter of defending your worldview. It's also a command to debunk other worldviews, which is why I've made so many videos over the years debunking older creationism, debunking atheistic evolution, debunking at times other religions like Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, or as I've done a lot, debunking atheism. So that command is why I do those kind of contents where I'm debunking other worldviews. Now, tonight's presentation is three sections in particular. Section one, what do the Roman historians say about Jesus? Because there's quite a few of them that have something to say about Jesus. And what they say is very interesting if you're not familiar with that material. Section two, we will be talking about when the Gospels were written, which I will explain when we get there why that's important. And the third and final section, and what I consider to be the juiciest section, is what did the historical Jesus say and teach? By then, we'll have established that both the Roman historians who wrote about Jesus and the Gospels that talk about Jesus are writing about the same Jesus at this point. And so when we've established that, then the teachings of Jesus will become a lot more interesting. But let's get into section one. What do the Roman historians say about Jesus? Well, I'd like to start off with a very interesting quote by Ellen Johnson, who went on to CNN Larry King Live back in April of 2005 and gave us this gem. The reality is there is not one shred of secular evidence there ever was a Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and Christianity is a modern religion, and Jesus Christ is a compilation from other gods, Osiris, Mithras, who had the same origins, the same death as the mythological Jesus Christ. Now, if you just took Ellen at face value and didn't investigate anything she said, this may sound pretty convincing to some. This may sound damning to others. But there's just one little problem. The first sentence. Ellen claims that there is not one shred of secular evidence there ever was a Jesus Christ. And that's where all these Roman historians, I'm going to quote from, come into play. And the reason why it's important is because when dealing with the historical Jesus, it's important to know, are there any secular historians who talk about Jesus as a historical person? It's also important to figure out if there were any secular people who wrote about Jesus and the early Christians in order to corroborate the story. Because as we see if other religions like Mormonism, we have no corroboration from other parties regarding the Mormon stories. So, first up on the docket is Josephus. Josephus was a Jew who became a Roman citizen later in his life, and he was a historian from the first century whose works covered Jewish history. Josephus mentions Jesus in Antiquities of the Jews, Book 18, Chapter 3, Paragraph 3, but because of its kind assessment of Jesus in the Greek version, Many believe that the Christians who preserved Josephus's work altered his original text in order to make it appear less insulting than Josephus usually was in his writings. Robert Eisler, an Austrian Jewish art historian and Bible scholar who lived from 1882 to 1949, reconstructed Josephus's passage to be based on a less complementary approach that lined up more of Josephus's writing style in his other works. And it is this reconstruction that we're going to read, because even in this reconstruction, you'll learn a few things about this historical Jesus. We read, Now about this time arose an occasion for new disturbances, a certain Jesus, a wizard of a man, if indeed he may be called a man, who was the most monstrous of men, whom his disciples called a son of God, as having done wonders such as no man has ever done. He was, in fact, a teacher of astonishing tricks to such men as accept the abnormal with delight, and he seduced many Jews and many also of the Greek nation and was regarded by them as the Messiah. And when, on the indictment of the principal men among us, Pilate had sentenced him to the cross, still those who before had admired him did not cease to rave. For it seemed to them that having been dead for three days, he had appeared to them alive again, as the divinely inspired prophets had foretold, these and 10,000 other wonderful things. Concerning him, and even now, the race of those who are called Messianus after him is not extinct. Well, when we look at that passage of Josephus that Eisler reconstructed, we learn that Jesus performed miracles. We learn that Jews and Gentiles alike became his followers. We learn that Jesus was regarded as the Messiah while he was alive. We learn that Pontius Pilate sentenced Jesus to death on the cross. We also learn that it was reported that Jesus had risen from the dead after three days. We learn that the followers of Jesus claimed that Jesus fulfilled all the ancient prophecies about the Messiah. And we learn that the followers of Jesus were still around at the time of Josephus' writing. Those are all very interesting details, and when we pull them together with the other details about Jesus that we're going to see from these other Roman historians, you'll see that the picture they paint of Jesus will look very familiar. Now, Celsus is up next on the docket. Celsus was a second-century Greek philosopher famous for his attacks on early Christianity. While all of Celsus's works are no longer extant, which means that none of the manuscripts for them exist anymore. So we don't have any manuscripts of his work anymore. Origen, an early Christian theologian from the third century, used this quote from Celsus in Contra Celsum 128, which in Contra Celsum, Celsus was doing the point-by-point refutation, or Origen was doing a point-by-point refutation of Celsus's work. And so like he'd quote a bit of it and then write his response, quote the next little bit, write his response. Well, here's a quote from uh, Celsus that Origen gave. Born in a certain Jewish village of a poor woman of the country who gained her subsistence by spinning and who was turned out of doors by her husband, a carpenter by trade, because she was convicted of adultery. That after being driven away by her husband and wandering about for a time, she disgracefully gave birth to Jesus, an illegitimate child who having hired himself out as a servant in Egypt on account of his poverty and having there acquired some miraculous powers on which the Egyptians greatly pride themselves, returned to his own country, highly elated on account of them, and by means of these proclaimed himself a god. So we learn from Celsus that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. We learn that Jesus's father was a carpenter. We learn that Jesus had divine powers and that he Use these powers as the basis to proclaim himself to be God in human form. Very interesting details from Celsus we got there. Now, Lucian was a Greek satirist who lived from 125 to roughly 180 AD. Lucian wrote a satire called The Death of Peregrine, in which the lead character takes advantage of the generosity of Christians. And is in this work we read, The Christians, you know, worship a man to this day, the distinguished personage who introduced their novel rites and was crucified on that account. You see, these misguided creatures start with the general conviction that they are immortal for all time, which explains the contempt of death and voluntary self devotion, which are so common among them. And then it was impressed on them by their original lawgiver that they are all brothers from the moment that they are converted and deny the gods of Greece and worship the crucified sage, and live after his laws. All this they take quite on trust, with the result that they despise all worldly goods alike, regarding them merely as common property. Now, an adroit, unscrupulous fellow who has seen the world has only to get among these simple souls, and his fortune is pretty soon made. He plays with them. So we learn from Lucian that Jesus was indeed a real historical person, we learn that he was crucified for what he taught. And we even learn a teaching of Jesus that he taught that all the Christians, all his followers, are siblings in Christ from the moment of conversion.
1: May so, I uh, point something out real quick about some of the information you put forth? Sure. The uh, In the beginning of the uh, post, you uh, posted the people talking about the similarities of uh, Mithra and Jesus. I don't know if some people realize this out there, but the same Romans who were going along with that Mithra thing for a little bit, they actually claimed to have had a vision of Jesus Christ and ended up making Christianity the state religion because of such a powerful vision they had of it. That's why there you have Roman Christianity, folks. I don't know if you guys knew that out there. Also, you posted some of the list of people who mentioned Jesus Christ. I find it fascinating that Pontius Pilate is actually recorded. There is historical information of him as well as the enemies of Christ who crucified him actually mentioning him. This isn't just the people who liked him. It was the people who hated him who also mentioned him. Go ahead.
0: Absolutely. Now, the next historian on the docket is Suetonius, a Roman historian who lived from 69 to roughly 122 AD, Suetonius makes a reference to Jesus in Life of Claudius 25.4, which reads, Since the Jews constantly made disturbances at the instigation of Crestus, he expelled them from Rome. Now, Crestus is a misspelling of Christus, which means that he's talking about Jesus here, which means that Jesus not only was a real historical person, But according to Suetonius, because of the commotion that the Jews made when they brought Jesus before Pontius Pilate to get him crucified, Claudius kicked the Jews out of Rome. And if you read Acts 18, 1 through 2, you can have this fact verified by another source of information. Because Acts 18, 1 through 2 talks about the Jews being kicked out of Rome. This guy explains why they were kicked out of Rome. Surprise, surprise, it's what they had to do to get Jesus killed by Pilate that got them kicked out of Rome.
1: May I also point out that they also had the two locations one where the tomb in which Jesus was buried, and they also had the location historically found where he was crucified. They call it the Golgotha. Go ahead.
0: Yep. And that's also a place that's mentioned in the Gospels as well. Tacitus is the other Roman historian that we're looking at. He was a Roman historian who lived from 56 to roughly 117 AD, but he pointed out some interesting things in the Annals, Book 15, AD 62 to 65. And I hope to goodness I'm getting my Roman numerals right. Consequently, to get rid of the report, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations, called Christians by the populace. Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate. And a most mischievous superstition, thus checked for the moment, again not, again broke out not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome, where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world find their center and become popular. Now we learn from this account that Jesus not only was a real historical person, but that he was sentenced to execution by Pontius Pilate during the reign of Tiberius Caesar. But Phil Fernandez, another Christian apologist who wrote a book called Hacking the Historical Jesus, he wrote the following on pages 84 to 85 regarding Tacitus. These statements by Tacitus are consistent with the New Testament records. Even Tacitus' report of the stopping of the superstition and then its breaking out again appears to be his attempt to explain how the death of Christ stifled the spreading of the gospel, but then the Christian message was once again preached, this time spreading more rapidly. This is perfectly consistent with the New Testament record. The New Testament reports that Christ's disciples went into hiding during his arrest and death. After Jesus rose from the dead, three days after the crucifixion, he filled his disciples with the Holy Spirit about 50 days after the crucifixion, and they fearlessly proclaimed the gospel throughout the Roman Empire, Acts 1 and 2. Now, when you take all these secular sources, these Roman historians, what do they have to say about Jesus when you put them all together? Well, you learn that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that his father was a carpenter, that he was a wise person who had divine powers, which they attributed to sorcery to try and discredit him. He claimed to be God in human form. Jews and Gentiles alike became his followers. He was regarded as the Messiah while he was alive. He was arrested and condemned for what he taught. Pontius Pilate sentenced Jesus to death on a cross, and it was reported that Jesus had risen from the dead after three days. Now, when you pull all those details together and you think of the picture of Jesus you're getting, It looks like the Jesus of the Gospels, just less detailed, a little more murky in the details. Which leads us into when were the Gospels written? Now, when you read the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you are clearly dealing with the most detailed sources about Jesus that we have. But the question is, are they the earliest sources that we have about Jesus? And that's where this section is going to come in we're going to prove in this section that the Gospels were written within 30 years of the life of Jesus, which means that virtually all of the high witnesses to him were still alive when all of these Gospels were written. And just so you guys know, I am not going to be dealing with the Q-source hypothesis in this section because the Q-source is just that. It's a hypothesis. There's actually no evidence whatsoever that the Q-source even exists. So, I'm not going to deal with a hypothetical. I'm going to deal with what we actually have, which is the following information. Now, in 1 Timothy 6.13, Paul makes a reference to the conversation that Jesus had with Pilate, and the reference refers to the conversation that is recorded only in the Gospel of John. Since 1 Timothy was written between 63 to 65 AD, according to the Secular World and the Wikipedia article on the book, John's Gospel logically had to have been written before that because you can't make references to documents that don't exist. Well, what about the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke? Well, virtually all scholars agree that 1 Corinthians, which was Paul's first letter, was written between 53 and 57 AD. And just to show you the similarities here, 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I had also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my, remem- this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we see this huge quotation here that Paul lists in 1 Corinthians. And we realize that it comes from the Gospel of Luke, specifically Luke 22, 19 through 23, which reads, And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to the question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. So we can see that Paul is definitely using Luke as his source of information when he quotes Jesus' words at the Last Supper in 1 Corinthians. Now, since 1 Corinthians was written between 53 and 57 AD, this means that the Gospel of Luke had to have been written before 1 Corinthians, which makes sense because you can't make references to things that don't exist yet. And if 1 Corinthians is referring to Luke as clearly as Paul did, then Luke had to have already existed by the time 1 Corinthians was written. But it gets even more interesting. On page 166 of his book, Cold Case Christianity, famous homicide detective and Christian apologist Jim Warner Wallace had this to say about the Gospel of Luke. Luke often repeated or quoted entire passages that were offered previously by either Mark, 350 verses from Mark appear in Luke's Gospel, or Matthew, 250 verses from Matthew appear in Luke's Gospel. These passages were inserted into Luke's gospel as though they were simply copied over from other accounts. Since we know that Luke repeated and quoted passages from Mark and Matthew, both Mark and Matthew had to have been written before Luke. In other words, Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written within roughly 20 years of Jesus's life. And the only way you can disprove this theory of mine is if you can prove that 1 Corinthians and 1 Timothy were written much later than the current consensus is. If you could do that, then my theory would be wrong. But if you go with the consensus dates on the writing of 1 Corinthians and 1 Timothy, then you have to conclude that the Gospels were written within 30 years of Jesus' life, which means virtually every eyewitness was alive when John was written, and pretty much all of them were written when Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written. Now, when we look at the Roman historians who wrote about Jesus, if you take away Josephus, four of the five Roman historians wrote their documents over 80 years after the events took place, some of them closer to 100 years. The four gospels, on the other hand, were written within 30 years of the life of Jesus, with three of them written within 20 years. This means that the gospels are not only the most detailed sources of information we have about Jesus but they are the earliest as well. And normally when you're talking about the earliest and most detailed sources about a historical figure, historical scholars would be drooling all over that and they would be singing the praises of these documents because they would be considered the authoritative sources of information about that historical figure. But because this is about Jesus and it confirms the Bible, well, they're not so quick to jump on board the bandwagon of the Gospels being the earliest and most detailed sources we have about Jesus. Now that we know what the Roman historians said about Jesus, thus proving that there is secular evidence for Jesus's existence, and now that we know that the Gospels are the earliest and most detailed sources that we have about Jesus, this leads into our third and final section. What did the historical jesus say and teach there's going to be some stuff in here that will surely offend somebody somewhere so buckle up jesus taught that you shouldn't believe anything unless the evidence supports it now i know atheists and evolutionists and skeptics watching this will be blown away by this wait a minute we're the ones who always tell people they shouldn't believe anything unless the evidence supports it. What's Jesus doing teaching this? Of course, then they'll probably ask me, well, how do you know that he taught that? Because when they think of Christians, they think of people who believe anything, regardless of how little evidence there is for it. Well, in John 10, 22 through 39, we read the following. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I have said you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be set aside. What about the one whom the father set apart as his very own and is sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am the father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. So we see here in this passage, Jesus telling his enemies, hey, if you don't believe my claim to be the son of God, to be God in human form, then believe the works that I'm doing, because these works are the evidence that I am God, that I am God's son, the son of God, as it were. But in Mark 2, 1 through 12, we read another interesting passage. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since he could not get them to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. So here we have an instance where Jesus forgave a guy's sins, and his enemies said, hey, he can't do that. Only God can forgive sins. And so what Jesus did to prove that he was God and therefore had the authority to forgive sins was he healed this paralyzed man, told him to get up, pick his mat up, and go home, and the guy did. So Jesus was providing evidence to support his claim to be God, to support his authority to forgive sins. He was literally providing evidence for what he was saying. John 14, 8-14 is another interesting passage, though. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So Jesus didn't just tell his enemies, hey, don't believe me unless the evidence supports what I'm saying. He held his own disciples and followers to the same standard, which is the kind of intellectual consistency that most people appreciate and that atheists and evolutionists and religious skeptics claim to be all about. So they may be tempted at this point to think, oh yeah, let's get behind that Jesus guy, because he taught you should only believe things if there's adequate evidence for it. When you see the other things that Jesus taught later on in this presentation, that's when the... uh, excited atheists and skeptics and evolutionists will go, oh, because Jesus applied this standard to his claim to be God. Anyway. He also
1: warned us on who we ought to watch out for, you know, false Christ, false people, all this kind of thing. You hear a lot of non-believers say things like, why doesn't God do something about this or that? Well, he warned us, Christ warned us very specifically several times what to watch out for, look at their fruits.
0: Yes, he did. And we can definitely talk about that in more detail in the question part of this presentation. But the next point that Jesus taught was that the scriptures are inerrant. And the way he did this is he treated the most hard to believe miracle stories of the Old Testament as historical fact, even the ones that atheists and evolutionists make fun of the most. So here in John 3, 10 through 15, we see Jesus say the following to Nicodemus. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, The Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, when you see Jesus specifically say, I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe, how then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? This is the principle behind what he said. If Jesus, and consequently the Bible, since Jesus is God, as we'll see later, And God is the author of both the Old and New Testaments, ultimately, according to the New Testament. This means if God, Jesus, or the Bible gets anything wrong regarding a claim in the fields of knowledge called science, history, archaeology, etc., then they are to be distrusted, discounted, disbelieved when they talk about spiritual things, heavenly things, which would include the gospel message of salvation. So Jesus is quite literally laying out the idea here by very strong implication that if he or the Bible is wrong about anything regarding history, science, archaeology, etc., then the gospel is worthless. It is garbage and you can throw it out. It's quite simple. And a lot of people who call themselves Christians have a real problem with this teaching of Jesus, and they have a problem with any Christian who regurgitates what Jesus taught. It's a very interesting world that we live in. But Jesus, as I mentioned earlier, also taught that the Old Testament is true, which is on that same vein, because after all, like I said, if the Bible's wrong about anything, well then... As far as history, science, archaeology, etc., then we can discount the gospel. Well, Jesus, as I mentioned earlier, taught that the Old Testament was true, and he specifically taught that the Old Testament accounts of miracles that atheists like to make fun of were true facts of history. And he referred to them in relation to his coming, second coming. Matthew 12, 38-42. through 42. Then some tea, let's start over. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. So in this passage, we see Jesus refer to the prophet Jonah being swallowed by the big fish, the people of Nineveh repenting at Jonah's preaching, and the queen of the south visiting Solomon as real historical events. And he talked about them in relation to his second coming and his current coming at the time. Matthew twenty four thirty six through 31 says, But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. So according to Jesus, the flood of Noah and what was going on in the days right before the flood of Noah were real historical facts. And he made this claim by saying that the way things were back in Noah's time, right before the flood, is the way it's going to be right before I come back the second time. Then there's Luke 17, 26 through 29, where Jesus says, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building, But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So not only did Jesus once again refer to the flood of Noah and what was going on the days right before the flood as a real historical fact by comparing it to his second coming, but he did the same thing with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, that story where angels went to Sodom and Gomorrah to see Lot and the men of the town came to Lot's home and tried to rape the angels, and then God destroyed the cities. (laughs) Yeah, that story. Jesus said that's a real historical fact. Then there's Luke 20, 34 through 38, where we read, Jesus replied, The people of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage, and they can no longer die for they are like the angels. They are God's children since they are children of the resurrection. But in the account of the burning bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise, for he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for to him all are alive. So Jesus treats the account of the burning bush that we find in Exodus chapter three as a real historical event. Quite fascinating indeed. Jesus also taught that you don't need a formal education to know the truth about reality. And I have learned firsthand that this is definitely true. But let's see the passage where Jesus did this. John 7, 14 through 19 says, Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, How did this man get such learning without having been taught? Jesus answered, My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? Now, when they said, how did Jesus get such learning without having been taught? What was meant by that is that Jesus, even though they called him rabbi, he was technically not a rabbi. He did not go through the rabbinical education system that all the other rabbis back then went through, but he did the work of a rabbi. And no one could ever prove him wrong about anything, so they called him rabbi, because he did the work of a rabbi. And notice what Jesus says here. He says that anyone who chooses to do the will of God can find out whether Jesus' teaching comes from God or whether he's speaking on his own. In other words, Jesus is not saying that you need to have a special education, like several PhDs or college degrees. You don't have to have a secret mystic knowledge or Anything wacky, tobaccy like that, in order to figure out whether Jesus is telling the truth or not. He's saying that anyone who chooses to do the will of God will figure out and can figure out whether Jesus is speaking the truth or not. No formal education is required. And I agree with that. As long as we have access to information and a desire to know the truth or to seek out the will of God in this case, We can figure out whether or not Jesus was telling the truth or not. Now, here is one of the most inconvenient things that Jesus ever taught. Jesus taught that most of the world is going to hell. Kid you not. John 14, 6 through 7. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. That means that the biblical worldview is the only true worldview, because that's the worldview that Jesus established. And all other worldviews are false. Jesus made that categorically clear with this claim. But Jesus didn't stop there. Matthew 7, 13-14, Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So according to Jesus here, the majority of the world is going to be annihilated at the white throne judgment at the end of time, and that's after they've spent their time in hell. But relatively few people are going to spend eternity with him and the Father in the kingdom after it's established on earth. But it's not just unbelievers that Jesus applied this to. Matthew 7, 21 through 23, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons? and in your name perform many miracles then i will tell them plainly i never knew you away from me you evil doers so these are people who are proclaiming the name of jesus and prophesying in his name and apparently performing miracles and driving out demons in his name and they're not allowed in the kingdom because they don't have a saving personal relationship with jesus i know when i read this passage it's very sobering to me Because basically, if you take what Jesus said seriously in this passage, you have to examine yourself carefully and on a fairly regular basis just to make sure that you really are seeking the Lord and that you really are submitting to Jesus because if you don't got that saving personal relationship with him, you ain't going to be in the kingdom according to Jesus. So this is one of those passages that should definitely keep Christians humble. I know it keeps me humble. Now, this one is probably even more offensive for some people than the previous one was. Jesus taught through implication that young earth creationism is true. Now, I know the immediate knee-jerk reaction to that for most people is to freak out and go, what the heck are you talking about, Justin? That can't possibly be true. Some people will be more honest, though, and say, well, how did Jesus teach That young earth creationism is true. Explain that one to us, Justin. And for those people, we will. First, we'll start with Matthew 19, 1 through 6. And it says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that the beginning the creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So in this passage, we see Jesus say that at the beginning, the Creator, and then he quotes Genesis 1:27: the creation of Adam and Eve, male and female. And then he quotes right after that, Genesis 2.24, the creation of marriage. So according to Jesus, male, female, and marriage were created at the beginning. The beginning of what? The beginning of creation. How do I know it's the beginning of creation? Parallel passage in Mark 10, 1 through 9. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you, he replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So in this passage, we see Jesus say, at the beginning of creation, God. And then he quotes Genesis 1.27, and then quotes Genesis two twenty-four. So even more clearly in this passage, we see Jesus saying that male, female, and marriage were created at the beginning of creation. This is a factual claim that Jesus is making here. And when you compare Jesus's factual claim to the old earth creationism timelines of history, you realize really quickly that only the young earth creationism timeline of history allows Jesus to be factually correct when he claims that God made male, female, and marriage at the beginning of creation. I have here three timelines, the gap theory timeline of history, the day-age theory timeline of history, and the young Earth creationism timeline of history. And on each line, there is a green slash. And that green slash is the point where Adam, Eve, and marriage were created on these timelines. Now, if you assume the current theory that the universe and Earth are 14 to 16 billion years old, and you're not one of those people who's going with the new study that says that the universe and Earth are way older than that, twice as old, in fact. If you go with the traditional timeline for Gap Theory, you have Adam and Eve being created 6,000 years ago on a 14 to 16 billion year timeline. That's virtually at the very end of the timeline. That is almost the polar opposite of the beginning of creation. Then you have Day-Age Theory timeline, which would have Adam and Eve being created a couple billion years ago on a 14 to 16 billion year timeline, which is not as close to the end of the timeline as gap theory would have it, but it's still nowhere near the beginning as you can see on the graph. But then there's the young Earth creationism timeline of history. where We have Adam and Eve being created six days into a 6,000 year timeline. Created on day six of a 6,000 year timeline. That's like occurring at the 10 second mark of a three hour movie that's virtually the very beginning now i know that there's been older creationists in the past who have told me that because it occurred on day six instead of day one it didn't actually occur at the beginning but as i explained with the movie analogy it's virtually the beginning and it's certainly much closer to the beginning than day age theory and gap theory timelines Other things that older creationists try to do in response to this argument is they will say that, well, when Jesus talked about male, female, and marriage being created at the beginning of creation, what he really meant was the beginning of their creation. The problem is, is that the text of the scriptures doesn't say that. Matthew 19 says, at the beginning, not at their beginning. And Mark 10 says, at the beginning of creation, not at the beginning of their creation. If those passages said at their beginning and at the beginning of their creation, then the Old Earth objection would be true. But it doesn't say that. It says at the beginning and at the beginning of creation. And that means Young Earth creationism has to be true because it has Adam and Eve and marriage created on day six, the 6,000-year timeline, virtually at the beginning, just like Jesus said. But this is the most controversial part for most people for my presentation. Jesus claimed to be God in human form, and he did this in a variety of ways. And I'm going to give you three prime examples that go through a lot of scripture in a short amount of time, but I think you guys will like it. John 5, 41 through 44, Jesus said, I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my father's name and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? John 2, 23 through 25. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. 1 Kings chapter 8, 37-40 when famine or plague comes to the land, or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, or when an enemy besieges them in any of their cities, whatever disaster or disease may come, and when a prayer or plea is made by anyone among your people Israel, being aware of their afflictions, of the afflictions of their own hearts and spreading out their hands toward this temple, then hear from heaven, your dwelling place. Forgive and act. Deal with everyone according to all they do, since you know their hearts. For you alone know every human heart so that they will fear you all the time they live in the land you gave our ancestors. Psalm forty four twenty through 22. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God have discovered it since he knows the secrets of the heart? Yet for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Jeremiah 17, 10. I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to what, according to their conduct according to what their deeds deserve. Now, I give you all those passages to say this. According to the Old Testament, God searches the heart and examines the mind. He can see the secrets of the heart and God is the only one who knows every human heart. Jesus claimed to know that the Jewish leaders he was talking to had no love of God in their hearts. And John 2, 23 through 25 states that Jesus knows all people and what is in each person. Therefore, By claiming to know what was in the hearts of his listeners, Jesus was claiming to be God. Now this is an interesting one. Matthew 21, 14 through 17. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus, have you never read from the lips of children and infants you, Lord, have called forth your praise? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. Psalm 8, 1 through 4. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them. So as we see in those two passages, the children at the temple were worshiping Jesus and the religious leaders were upset by that. They wanted Jesus to stop, but Jesus referred to Psalm 8 to justify allowing the children to worship him. In Psalm 8, we see children are praising God, and yet Jesus refers to that psalm to justify allowing children to worship him. And by doing so, Jesus was claiming to be God. Matthew eleven twenty seven, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. In this verse, Jesus claims that he is so incomprehensible that it takes God the Father to fully understand and comprehend him. He also claims that he's the only one who can fully understand and comprehend God the Father and that he can choose who he wants to reveal God the Father to. Therefore, Jesus is making himself indistinguishable from God, which makes him by default God. Now we come to the conclusion of tonight's presentation. When you examine the writings of Josephus, Celsus, Lucian, Suetonius, and Tacitus that we saw in section one of this presentation, we realize these things. They say that Jesus was a wise man, but they don't talk about what he taught that made him wise. The Gospels do. They say that Jesus claimed to be God, but they don't tell you how people reacted to that. The Gospels do. They say that Jesus performed miracles in support of his claim to be God, but they don't describe any of the miracles. The Gospels do. They say that Jesus was put to death on a cross by Pontius Pilate, but they don't record the conversation between Pilate and Jesus like the Gospel of John did. And when we look at the Gospels, we see that the Gospels tell us that Jesus told both his disciples and his enemies alike that they should believe his claim to be God in human form on the basis of evidence. The Gospels also tell us that Jesus never had a formal education and yet he understood the Old Testament better than the religious leaders and the people of his day. We also see in the Gospels that Jesus taught that the scriptures were inerrant and that the most hard-to-believe miracle stories of the Old Testament were historical facts. Jesus also taught that the only way to heaven was through a personal relationship with him and that the majority of the world is going to end up in hell, including a lot of people who call themselves Christians and who seem to be legit Christians. Jesus also very strongly and implicitly endorsed young earth creationism by teaching something that can only be true if young earth creationism is true. Mainly, he taught that male, female, and marriage were created at the beginning of creation. And last and most importantly, we saw in the Gospels that Jesus claimed, in a variety of ways that cannot be refuted, that he was God in human form. While most people are willing to accept the fact that Jesus was a historical person who really lived, they will deny what the historical record tells us that Jesus said and did. And the reason why these people in academia, especially the secular religious professors who were like, oh yeah, there definitely was a historical Jesus who was put to death by Pontius Pilate, but everything else about him that's recorded in the gospels we reject. The reason why they do this is because the truth about Jesus is too inconvenient to them. They can't handle it. It's way too inconvenient to what they want to do, mainly rebel against God. But now that you know about the historical Jesus, I'll briefly summarize the gospel message of salvation that he brought us and that the Bible as a whole brings us. And on my Rumble channel, you can find a video I did where I give the entire gospel in its full scriptural glory with scriptures everywhere supporting each and every point of it. But in summary, this is what the gospel is. Human beings are fallen. We're born of a sin nature. We rebel against God in our flesh. And unrepentant sinners, which at one point we all were, had it coming because God is a holy and perfect judge, and He cannot be bribed or corrupted. And so, when He sees all the evil that we as human beings commit, when He sees all the crimes we commit when we violate God's laws, He has to punish us, He has to throw us into the lake of fire at the end of time and wipe out not just our bodies. But our souls. But as infinite as God is in his justice and his wrath and his vengeance, he is also infinite in his love and his mercy. And so, even though there was nobody forcing him to do it, he decided to come to the earth 2,000 years ago as Jesus of Nazareth, and he went through the ultimate sacrifice on the cross, paying the penalty for all sins past, present, and future, so that if we will repent of our sins, bow our knees to Jesus and enter into a personal relationship with him, his sacrifice on the cross can be applied to our sin ledger, and we can be made right before God, and we can therefore spend eternity with Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit in the kingdom. And that includes the kingdom that is established on earth at the end of time. That is the gospel message of salvation, and that is what Jesus brought us back in the first century, and I very much look forward to his second coming. That is the end of the presentation, and this is the part of the TTOR show where anyone is welcome to ask me questions about anything, or since Brett is here, ask him questions about anything.
1: Well I would like to uh, acknowledge a couple other things that people might be interested in. I understand when non-believers listen to Christians talk about the history of Jesus, they immediately shut down and go into the twilight zone. So if you if I might suggest for those out there, there are quite a bit of atheist skeptics who are also historians who ended up looking into the historicity of Jesus Christ. One of the most popular ones, who was a, who used to be a famous atheist, his name was Bart D. Ehrman, E-H-R-M-A-N. He wrote a book, Did Jesus Exists? A Historical Argument for Jesus of Nazareth. He's also been on his own podcast and shows actually describing the many different evidences he found for Jesus. And one of the things he's quoted for is there's more evidence for Jesus than some of the historical figures like Abraham Lincoln and some of our very presidents out there. There's more information out there about him than some of the leaders that we take for granted on that. Another thing, as I pointed out earlier, is we were talking about enemies of Jesus Christ. Well, as many of you know, we've talked about the history of the crucifixion. Well, we also have history of uh, some threats that came to him whenever he was being born into this world. Look into the story of Herod and all the babies that he slaughtered. There's a lot of historical evidence behind that. That was one of the things I started looking into whenever I was a non-believer. I felt like that was a major extraordinary claim. And as Hitchens said, extraordinary uh, claims require ex, uh, extraordinary evidence. So that was one of the first things I looked at because that was a big call in the Bible. And guess what? Not only did he do that, and he killed over 14,000 babies throughout the entire area, but he also uh, committed a lot of other atrocities. He was not a good man. So you guys can look into that. Like I said, if you don't buy what Christians are telling you or the great presentation TTR did, There are skeptical uh, historians out there uh, who would find you to be stupid or foolish to not accept that the man Jesus did walk the earth.
0: Yes, I agree with everything you said. I mean, what Brett's showing you with what he said shows that there's a lot more information out there about the historical Jesus and the people around him that are talked about in the Gospels then I can fit into an hour, hour and 10 minute presentation. I mean, even what I have in there, I've been told is about two hours worth of information rolled into one. But Brett just showed you all that there's so much information about the historical Jesus and the people around him that it's absurd for anyone to deny not only that he exists, but also to deny really anything that's recorded in the gospels.
1: A lot of atheists will ask out there, I mean, how do you know which religion, how do you know that this is right, and how do you know this information being presented to you is true? There are some Bibles out there that literally go so far as to giving you a glossary, gives you a map on the different locations where a lot of these events happened. Um, It's quite extensive on it. And on top of it, every one of the people that are mentioned in the Bible that had any kind of extraordinary moment or event, such as the disciples, such as God's enemies, every one of them is historically presented, especially Pontius Pilate. Now, if you want to know something crazy, if you look into the Mithra or Zoroastrian religion or any of these older ones that seem like they're similar... None of them have any kind of historical places. None of them have historical people, nothing to it. That's the reason why those are put on the shelf with mythology in the library as opposed to Jesus Christ.
0: Yep, absolutely. And that's the thing, too, I learned about the whole Mithras thing. Like that thing Ellen was saying at the beginning of my presentation in the first section all those you know mythological people that they say oh well the Jesus story is just ripped from these guys what people have actually found when they actually dig deep into the issue is that it's actually the other way around any similarities that these other figures who are completely mythical have with Jesus they didn't have these similarities during the time of Jesus it was after Jesus and after the Christian church started in the first century that the stories around these mythical figures were changed to uh, represent any kind of similarity to Jesus Christ.
1: There's one thing, too, unfortunately, some religious people even forget, and I know a lot of non-believers don't realize this, but the Bible is not just one big old book. It's not some kind of story from beginning to end. It is a collection of historians. It is a collection of uh, people who shared the information throughout generations of generations. None of the other religions that you claim out there, for those out there that think there's similarity, have all these collections of books to be able to uh, bounce off each other and be able to point this out. Something to think about. And TTR did a great job of showing that Jesus Christ spoke of that other information. He spoke of the other things that the other writers spoke of. So that's amazing in itself.
0: Yep. I mean, there's also a lot of other things that Jesus taught that would have been great to include in the presentation if I had the stamina to do like a two-hour presentation. <laughs> but the things that I focused on in particular were the things that were the most controversial that Jesus taught. And there are quite a few doozies that I went through, but that's the funny thing about Jesus and the truth. He just didn't really care what people thought. He only cared about presenting the truth, which was him. And so he said what needed to be said. And even though lots of feelings got hurt and people wanted to kill him for it and eventually did, didn't matter. It was still the truth. And because it was the truth and because he was truth incarnate, That's why he rose from the dead after three days, because you can never kill the truth.
1: Well, I think the presentation was perfect. I think it was incredible. I'm just adding my pieces in there and all that. I just remember whenever I was a former non-believer being around other non-believers, how they kind of think. They just kind of shut down. So that's why I suggested, even though your presentation was good, grand and great and all that you know what it's like dealing with non-believers the add kicks in in about five minutes so i wanted to let people know if you don't believe the religious folks if you're so narrow-minded that you just automatically shut down when a christian tells you something you've got plenty of atheist skeptics out there that will also defend the existence of jesus christ let me get you that link by the way Thank you. you were talking I was about. about
0: to say hello to Darkmoon75 in the Rumble chat, but then he appeared in the studio. As soon Uh-oh. as you get a mic, Darkmoon, I will let you in.
1: For those out there interested, I will momentarily be putting a link out to a very professional sounding microphone that users can get for. Under $26, Amazon's got so many microphones in stock now that they've dropped the prices. I can get you guys one that'll sound like a radio and you'll actually sound somewhat professional when you decide you want to talk to us.
0: And Babuski, it's Dark Moon. Can you hear me? Oh, yes, I can. You sound good.
2: Good. I did everything right and I wasn't stupid like I thought it was. You
0: sound as good as your offline videos so far.
2: Yeah, uh, new headset.
0: Well, you got quite the Christmas present, didn't you? Because <laughs> I remember when you were like, oh, I won't be able to join you till April.
2: <laughs> well, that's just uh, the rest of my setup. I've got uh, I've got to get my internet set up and everything yet. But uh, I'm here at my family's house right now.
0: Ah, okay. Sweet.
2: And yeah. uh, I told him I was going to try to be doing this show tonight, so everybody was nice enough to stay out of my way while i did
0: (laughs) yay (laughs) i've definitely been looking forward to this day that is for sure because you dark moon have been definitely one of the biggest advocates for quarter and you've also done a good job of making use of other alt tech sites that exist as well as using mainstream sites like youtube it's Believe it or not, it's really hard to convince most creators to diversify where they put their content. I mean, in this day and age, you'd think it'd be easy to do, but apparently people like us are just totally abnormal.
2: Yeah, um, I've been bouncing off here and there. I've been on YouTube, I've been on Josh Who, I've been on uh, BitChute. That was a fun experience, BitChute.
0: <laughs> that yeah, it
2: was for me That
1: of theirs. Well, folks, i got to apologize. I attempted to post that link of Amazon, and the link is the size of a small comic book. So I'll have to... (laughs) (laughs) You guys will have to follow us, me and TTR, on Twitter. That way I can give you proper links and all that. The comments does not like links that are that big.
0: That is a shame, but it is what it is.
1: I can't do Twitter.
0: Yeah. I banned myself off of Twitter. (laughs) uh, Well, I'll give X credit. Uh, Since Elon Musk took over, it has definitely been less censorious than it used to be. And there's things I can talk about on there that would not have been so free to talk about before. And it seems to be even easier to live stream to the site than it ever was before, because I remember they used to have to go through this thing called Periscope for you to stream to Twitter. But now you can just do it directly. I like that.
2: Uh, yeah, I banned myself off of there before uh, Elon Musk got a hold of it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Of course, I expect, you know, the globalists to have ultimate control over it down the road. So it's not like I'm putting all my eggs in that basket. <laughs> I'm just taking advantage of the new freedoms it allows while it has them.
2: Yeah. The reason why I decided I'd stick with quarter, though is because it, well you own it and I know you're not going to uh, slam people for saying things that you don't agree with.
0: That YouTube, is true.
2: Yeah, YouTube they like to they like to play favorites, you know.
0: Oh yeah. Especially if you happen to be on the very far left and you are part of the woke social justice crowd, ooh, then you get boosted in their algo.
2: I don't want to say too much about it because I don't want Brett's channel to get hit. But uh, they've already tried to slam me twice. They've censored my comments. They've They've censored comments on my own stream. I was going to say, uh,
0: I remember uh, I remember when they blurred those uh, thumbnails of yours.
2: <laughs> yeah, I took pictures of that stuck them in the video. And that I was kind of weird.
0: Wor- and I see stuff way worse than that in people's thumbnails on YouTube. It's like, wait. That's the thing that's too horrific for children to watch. But, you know, Wolverine getting ripped in half while covered in blood. Oh, that, that's totally fine for
1: kids. <laughs> I would suggest for people who are posting videos, don't uh, don't look at other people's YouTube videos and say to yourself, oh, they weren't able to do that. And then I'll do something and even a little bit more gentler. Now, if YouTube has it out for you, it doesn't matter how nice you are. I actually got a strike a long time ago for doing a video called jesus is the guiding light or something that was just all good stuff uh somebody who got me for hate speech it took a while to get that off of my, channel. <laughs> oh my <laughs> gosh uh
0: yeah well you know there are some people who are like that
1: <clears throat> yep. so
0: dark so dark moon 75 since this is your first time here on any of my podcasts much less this one uh Maybe you could tell us a little bit about what's been on your mind lately.
2: I'm kind of going through a uh, transitional phase of uh, spirituality, I guess. It, I've been watching like religious videos and stuff for a long time, but sometime in October, I kind of got this idea I should be doing more. So I'm. I'm in a, I'm in a part of my life right now where I'm trying to, uh, cut out a lot of the wrong things in my life, you know, things that I've been doing that I shouldn't be doing. that uh, stuff like that. I, like I said in that one comment that I left you on, uh, another video a while back, I said, God's doing some work with me. I believe he is.
0: That's good because he would like to do some work on all of us no, have you no. uh have you been going to any churches in your area at any point
2: uh no I haven't really been going to any churches yet, but i have been um, I've been watching a lot of crossfire
0: mm, my church <laughs>
2: yeah um I really don't know of any churches around here that I think I can go to that would, uh, that's, you know, the right kind of church, if you know what I mean. There's a lot of them who believe different things, things that oh, aren't yeah. in the Bible. And
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, are you in a small town or a big city or like a medium city?
2: Small town. I live out here in the country in uh, West Virginia. I live uh, in a mountain area.
0: So I'm gonna guess that there's not many churches in your area.
2: <laughs> well, there's there's maybe two two in this town that I know of, hmm. but this town is small. This town is so small that if you drove past it and you blink, you'll miss it.
0: So it's kind of like uh, Monmouth and Independence in Oregon, where I used to live. Like they like going going one direction, they're fairly sizable, but where they meet in the middle on the highway that runs between them if you just go through the highway you'll go through the whole town in like two minutes
2: (laughs) yeah that's about the size of it
0: what's weird though is in that town there's a whole bunch of churches which made me puzzle because i'm like wait a minute i didn't think there's even that many people why is there like seven or eight churches in this town (laughs) but yeah That's an Oregon Uh, problem, though, because Oregon tends to have a lot of churches, but not a lot of people attending them on average.
2: Now, I said in that one video that I did uh, that I've been to churches off and on throughout my life. Uh, I think you watched that video. I don't know if Brett's seen it or not.
0: For the audience watching this, uh, can you talk a little bit about what that last church you went to was like?
2: Last church I've been to was back in 2009 or so, somewhere around there. 2009, 2010, somewhere around there.
0: That's about a long time ago.
2: (laughs) Yeah, we had a good pastor and everything. And uh, it wasn't really a church. He was uh, down to having to have church services in his home. So that's where we went.
0: Home church. I know what that's like.
2: Uh, he, he called it a uh, uh, church like they had back in the days of Jesus, is what he called it. Yeah, Where I two mean, or three are gathered in his name.
0: Yeah, because when you read, read the book of Acts, you see that they met in their homes as well as in the synagogues when they could. But right. churches are totally, you know, totally a Christian thing to do.
2: Uh, that's really the last church I've been to and as far as I know of that pastor has fallen away but he's still a good man and everything but he's he's fallen away he's let things get to him here so he, and there. Left
0: the he left the faith
2: I don't know about leaving the faith I don't think he left the faith I think he just uh, backslid I guess would be it
0: mm, so basically he just quit being a pastor and lived a yeah. A less-than-perfect life, for, for kindness' sake.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's, like I said, he's always been good to me, so... yeah, I'm trying not to say anything bad about him.
0: Right. I get that. Yeah, yeah. I, I've been to a lot of churches over my life, too, especially when I was in college, going to different towns and cities, so I got to be exposed to more what churches are like and... Yeah, a lot of them I could definitely do without. Uh, The one I'm going to now, Crossfire, is probably the best one for me because I actually have a chance to be a part of their team and actually help them out with the various fields of media that they want to partake in. And I can help out with other things around there, too, that aren't media related. But like when I was younger, I had a hard time getting involved in really any kind of church. I mean, even the ones I would consider good, they expressed no interest in having me help out with anything when I asked. So, yeah, I I can see where a lot of people get uh, turned away from the faith based off of the way that churches behave and Christian people behave. But when a lot you find, of a, good one, when you find yep. a good one, it's very fulfilling.
1: That's another thing we talked about earlier, too, though, isn't it? Jesus warned us of uh, false teachers, false Mm -hmm. preachers, false all these things. And uh, people somehow forget that.
0: (laughs) Yep. Right there in Matthew 7, I believe it is, because it's right around the same area where I was quoting from in my sermon. Like it was between verse 14 and verse uh, 21, I think in Matthew 7, where he talks about false teachers and the bad fruits they put out, and by your fruit, you'll recognize them. That's all in that same passage. It's pretty entertaining reading, actually. but it's also totally true. And it also talks about that in some of the other New Testament books. I think 1 Peter is the other one that talks about false teachers and how dark and despondent they are in their souls. And basically, you need to just disregard everything they say. And not have fellowship with them.
2: But yeah, I think I think mostly what I've been trying to do, I don't know if it's right or not, but I've mostly been trying to uh get my ministering from, you know, the crossfire videos and I've been Is talking to bit- my sister, she goes to church.
0: Hmm. have you ever been to her church
2: no uh, uh she just recently started going she's trying to get right with god too because she's um uh, she's ill she's diabetic she's older than i am hmm. and she's she's been through a lot of things
0: yeah Yeah, I know what that's like. My dad's best friend is diabetic, so I've seen what that can be like.
1: Yeah, my dad was too. Yeah, my wife and uh, brother, unfortunately, also suffer from uh, being a diabetic. My brother's got to do the shots, and my wife, not as often. Uh, They've got a pill now that helps a little bit with that. And, of course, stress ain't too good on it. My sister just recently started taking shots,
2: I think. She used to take pills. But, um, yeah, that's about it. That's about all
1: I've got to say on this subject. Well, Dark Moon, if you don't mind, since it your first introduction, why don't you tell folks a little bit about yourself and what kind of videos you make. Uh, well, when I started
2: YouTube back in 2010, I was doing, like, mostly just gaming videos. And even back then, I noticed a a couple of things that wasn't right about it. Because when I was doing videos for them back then, back in 2010, which is when I got my first channel up. I think the one I have now is my third channel. When I got my first channel going, um, they would they would uh, cut out some of the music I had in the games I was playing. They would cut that out and pretty much mute the whole thing. So me doing commentary was, there was no point in me doing it.
1: And um Oh yeah, I, I found that to be uh, held to live stream something like Bethesda games because they like to have radios playing in the background, all that 50s music, which I enjoy, but doesn't do good for copyright.
2: No, I used to. Uh, I used to play like the older games. They would copyright. They would copyright the music in the game itself, and they would end up muting that. So when they muted that, they would mute my commentary with. So I basically ended up having a video with no sound, <laughs> and no one wants to watch that. I started my second channel around. Uh, 2013 or so, and deleted that one in 2017, thanks to uh, this dumb situation I got myself in with the uh, woman I was talking to. She ended up planting this weird idea in my head that there were trolls out to get me, And she was so convinced of these trolls that she talked me into deleting a lot of my stuff that was online. I ended up deleting my channel. I ended up deleting uh, my account from this writing site that I was on. I backed up my stuff first because I had over like 200 and some works up on that. And uh, she has pretty much vowed to make my life a living hell if she ever found me again. So... Um, yeah, a lot of my, uh, a lot of the circles I'm in with my riding and whatnot, I've made friends with a lot of, uh, female riders and we keep in touch a lot and we're just friends. That's all we are. But she was under this impression that every woman I talked to, I was fooling around with, even though. I've got friends I've got friends in Arizona, I've got one in Colorado, I've got one in Canada, I've got one in Argentina. But somehow I'm flying all across all across the world meeting these women, you know.
0: Without leaving your room. Magic trick. Yep. Magic. <laughs> we got a magician but, uh, here, Brett.
2: <laughs> yeah. She she once told me that uh when she did get up with me that she's gonna end up slitting my throat in my sleep. So I was like, you know what? No, I'm I'm kind of. This is this is too high maintenance for me. I'm getting out of this. I ended up cutting her off. I blocked her on everything.
1: That sounds like mean, what do. we call a fatal attraction.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, here's the funny a thing: I didn't know I I didn't even know halfway through the relationship uh, until halfway through the relationship that she was already married.
0: Oh, she kept that
2: little secret from you, huh? No. Oh, no. But, you know, it it did kind of hurt at first when I ended up breaking it off. I broke it off in like uh, April of 2019. Mm -hmm. It hurt a little bit because, because she was beautiful. She was nice to look at and everything, but not all of her cogs were turning. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I kind of figured that part out when she talked about uh, wanting to slit your throat while you were asleep and all the other creepy stuff she was doing.
2: But uh, a lot of the a lot of the uh, people I've met through writing, I still keep in touch with. We're friends on Facebook. Uh, I have a discord I talk to one on. Um, There are a few who are also video creators. I keep in touch with them.
0: Sweet. do they do like writing videos or do they just do other kinds of videos
2: um i had one she stopped doing them but she used to like read her poems and videos that set to inspirational music and stuff she used to do that hmm. she doesn't do that anymore as far as i know of
0: yeah play youtube censors and music uh being played in your video these days, it's kind of hard to do that. <laughs> yeah. YouTube, that's
2: a, that's a lot of the problems is that they stop using YouTube because of all of that sorts of stuff that they do on there.
0: Yeah. But that is one of the nice parts about X and Quarter and Rumble is that we don't have uh that kind of TOS community guideline. So basically, as long as you aren't trying to claim credit for something that's not yours, uh, Free to use
2: it, yeah. That's that one of the reasons why I'm sticking with quarters.
0: Yeah, that's the way it should be, really. I mean, it's pretty easy to figure out when someone's trying to take credit for something they didn't make and when they're just doing something with that because they think it goes cool with their video. I mean, I think we can all tell that.
2: Yeah, I mean, there is such a thing as fair use,
0: exactly. That's part of that is fair use.
2: I used to uh, have my stuff going up on uh, Joshu, too, but he had, like, some kind of server snafu, and it ended up deleting everything but three of my videos. (laughs) Really? Yeah. I I asked him about it. I said, why did you delete my stuff? I I was in violation. And he said, no, we had a server mishap when we were moving the videos over, and we ended up losing all your content. I was like, oh, (laughs) I don't want that to happen again, so... quarter it is
0: (laughs) yeah i still talk to josh he's totally for free speech so when he tells you that something like that happened, it's what happened yeah that's what i figured his main problem right now is money i don't know if he's going to be able to keep his site online moving forward or not
2: yeah he lost loop already i think yeah i was on there for a while yeah because
0: yeah. i liked loop loop was very functional and clean and had an app in the mighty network section of the app store and it was great <clears throat> but yeah, yeah. To, to run all that stuff at the same time you got to have money to do it and as far as i know he doesn't have a regular steady job he's like a commission-based tech guy and you know when you don't have a lot of demand for your work you're not going to have as much money and it'll be harder to pay bills
2: yeah that that makes sense and plus he does a lot of this stuff he does a lot of this stuff for people and he want he, i know he wants to help people and everything
0: yeah but he also has his hosting website which is literally what's hosting my quarter site and hosting uh my domain for Creation Social. So that site alone is going to give him some money at all times.
2: <laughs> at least he can eat.
0: <laughs> That's true. Very true. But man, man, when I got the Creation Social domain back from Epic and got it onto the Joshua hosting services, boy, did I learn how I was being scammed out of money just to have the domain for my site. Over on Epic, they want to charge me a hundred and thirty dollars a year just to have the URL creation.social to have the same URL domain on Joshua Hosting 30 bucks a year.
2: That's a hundred bucks saved right there.
0: <laughs> That's what I would call a grifting scam right there. They're charging me a hundred bucks more for the exact same service I'm getting at Josh and Hosting. It's like, really? (laughs) Uh, I thought Epic was about all that freedom of speech stuff.
2: Oh, they are. They just, you know, want money for it. Yeah. I can understand supporting, but not like that.
0: so brett we've had dark moon hold the floor for a while and i held the floor for a long time with my presentation but what is going on in the life of brett keen the content creator not brett keen the man
1: well besides the uh daughter issue that we talked about earlier also had some issues with the plumbing there seems to be a curse with the keen family brother ttor it seems like When we hear one good thing, we then get three bad things right afterwards. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a pagan putting a spell on me or something. I don't know, but (laughs) (laughs) it's rough. Yeah, the plumbing messed up. This caused the toilets to explode. Uh, not literally like you know, a Muslim terrorist or something kind of act (laughs) boom, you know. So we've got that to deal with and a couple other things i also kind of got into it with some of my relations um they had not showed up at the hospital and that kind of you know that kind of irritates right
0: right i i would get that what about uh your content creation you got any plans for some cool videos for the near future
1: Well, it's going to be tough to top this one. I thought it was pretty good, and we've got it. uh, Obviously, we've told people it's streaming through both rumbles and uh, all that, but there's a lot of things, and uh, honestly, I mean, all I have to do is just simply scroll through Twitter for about five minutes, and if it's not some kind of political atrocity going on, there's something going on with school shooters and every horrible thing imaginable, so you never really run out of content. (laughs) as long as you look at Twitter just for even a few minutes it's just like wow and of course you come up with a lot of great topics too a lot of inspirational stuff that one could get into discussions with I am very surprised that more people don't like approach you on this maybe they're intimidated maybe they see that you're so organized and articulate on these matters they're like hell no I don't want to touch this guy he's going to beat me up you know
0: Uh man but since you brought up uh current events uh i did notice today more news about that uh that shooter at that one school i forget what it's called but the one that just happened uh looks like we got another case of the uh the rainbow brigade
1: yeah i actually uh just recently i know that you were busy setting everything up but i ended up making a list of the last uh a bit of shooters over the last six years, and every single one of them have been a part of the uh the um rainbow military or mafia, whatever they call it.
0: Oh, there it is. Hold on, let me uh take one second here and show that on screen because I found it. I found the post you're talking about.
1: Seems to be a pattern, seems to be a real let me pattern.
0: Screen share this doohickey.
1: And, you know, the Democrats, their big thing is they want to they try to suggest that, well, these people didn't feel accepted or they didn't feel loved. Well, guess what? Whenever I was going to high school, I wasn't the most loved guy either. Here I am, a young man with premature gray hair, uh, looks that'll cause all the guys envy because their women are looking at me. And I was treated pretty damn mean sometimes, but I never thought to myself, you know what? I think I'm just going to walk through the halls and shoot up everything. It's never been a thought of mine. And I was treated like a total asshat in
0: school. (laughs) Right.
1: right. And trust me, folks, it don't matter that I was six foot five, 250 pounds of pure sexual awesome power. They Mm. just uh, they wanted it out for me.
0: Yeah, it was a little different for me when I was in high school because, well, I wasn't carrying as much weight as I am now, but I was about 6'4", 6'5", most of high school. And, you know, I was star basketball player. And in my senior year during basketball season, I got to be winter homecoming king. But outside of basketball, I always felt like a loner out there, almost like people were too afraid to approach me, like you were saying earlier. I just figured it was because of my intimidating build because, you know, I'm six foot five. I have a seven foot wingspan as far as if I stretch my arms out from fingertip to fingertip uh, and not thin at all (laughs) back then and now. And I mean, you saw the full body pic I sent you for the graphic art. I mean, that's basically what I looked like in high school, just with a smaller stomach. (laughs)
1: Isn't it so weird when you watch movies on television or you watch concerts and all that on television, most of the people that you're looking at are like five foot tall, straight out of the Wizard of Oz, the munchkins, you know what I mean? But here we are, anybody that's like six foot or anything like that, uh, we look pretty much, they make us look the same size on screen. So I've had a lot of people, they'll be seeing me on a live stream and they'll say... Right, you're that tall. Yeah, goodness gracious. I have to have a widescreen camera over here in order to be seen.
0: Yeah, that, that does remind me though of uh the concert that I was involved with the production of on New Year's Eve night. We had the Rhythms of Renewal concert at uh Crossfire at my church. And one thing that we well, the thing that I did was I actually recorded on video the whole concert after I made sure we could pick up all the sound through the soundboard. And the band Leviticus in particular, my goodness, that was some extremely good Christian death metal, especially for a relatively new band. I mean, the amount of polish they had for being a new band was pretty amazing.
2: That's usually two words you don't see put together. Yeah.
0: I mean, there's been Christian death metal bands before. Uh, back in the early mid 2000s, there was a Christian metal band called Under Oaf that was so popular that even one of their songs got put onto the official soundtrack for EA Sports Madden 07, which back then Madden used to have like a really diverse set of genres and bands and their official soundtracks. And under Oath made their cut, which I thought was pretty impressive when I found out that little factoid. But I've the not lead heard of sing- But the lead singer of Leviticus is taller than I am. <laughs> I'm, That's six how are you? I'm six five. I'm six so I figure he had to be at least six foot and a six and a half, maybe six foot seven, muscular, got a big curly mustache that just looks awesome. Kind of like the mustaches that you see in the stereotypes of like the 80s or the 70s.
1: I don't know where you guys grew up or whatever, but I obviously uh, imagine that I probably received some of the uh, atrocities in school that I did was because when I was a child, I was born in St. Louis and raised up through many of the years and it's like one of the murder capitals of the world i'm surprised they even made it out there and then didn't end up in a like of the river or something <laughs> ended up moving out <laughs> the country about 13 14 years old and had no interest in going back
0: yep now let's get back to the thing brett was referring to earlier his post on x about all these shooters recently and the common things they have. Mm, we see the rainbow flag and the trans flag and mm, mass shooters and the let's see Colorado Spring, Denver, Aberdeen, which I don't know where that is, Nashville, Tennessee, which I think that was the one at that Christian school if I remember right. But it's all it's happening so consistently now, Brett that I'm starting to wonder if maybe, Like this is just part of the life cycle of one of these people. It's like you start out as one biological sex, but then you're convinced by others that because you feel like you're the opposite, then you can just make yourself the opposite and be the opposite. And then you find out that life isn't as rosy as the people in your community make it out to be when you come out as trans. And and then I guess you just resort to going after all the people who oppress you, and I don't mean like debate them and win. I mean like pull out some hardware and lay some bodies out on a few slabs. Seems to be the life cycle of these people at this point.
1: If I may, I think that part of their problem is... One second, can you put me up on the big screen real quick? I'll show you a collage I made, and these are all... Uh, a lot of them are LGBT, but also a lot of them are, um... let me stretch it out for you so you can see this better. Yeah, okay. I put together a bit of a collage with a meme thing on it. Let's get this going so you can see, as you can see, it's a it's a fairly. Uh... <laughs> That's
0: <laughs> pretty much on. true, though.
1: <laughs> oh, you seen that, did you?
0: You do realize if Democrats, that, that's stop funny. Shooting people gun dry. That's what <laughs> dropped by
1: 90%. There you go. As oh, yeah. You... And
0: that's the great thing, too, about all these trans people. Magically, all of their journals and the notes they leave behind, it all says that they're far left wackos who vote Democrat and evil Orange Man bad.
1: And it's another strange. thing, another thing, too, uh, Brother TTR, is they're all godless. If you check out any other Facebooks, a lot of these were social media people. There was a guy called Skeptical Atheist a while back who used to preach against guns and talk about how abusive religious people were. Did an entire series about religious child abuse. This guy turns around one day after doing some mushrooms and shoots his wife right in the face and then ends up taking himself out before the cops come out. No, 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 he didn't end himself. Uh, I think he wounded himself. The cops put him in prison. He's still in prison today. So, yeah, there you go. That guy right there above the cute little words you see in the middle of the screen. You see the guy that's white with the beard. That guy went into a Texas Christian church. He didn't do a school shooting. He did church shooting. Some of these are church shooters.
0: Yeah, I think I remember a couple of those, too, from a few years back. Crazy how we have all these shootings coming out. You know, from all these far left, Democrat, conservative hating, Christian hating people. And yet, all you hear in the media is how they're the victims and all the people they're shooting up, they're the real bad guys. They're the real oppressors here. Almost like Uh, they're trying to justify the shootings.
1: Oh, they tried to definitely justify it. Let me tell you guys a little fact here that'll probably be interesting to you, but not a surprise and then there has been no school shootings in any christian schools whatsoever I have looked for shootings that happen because when you're talking to atheists, uh, the go-to thing is, oh, but religious people are mean. They've done some things. Well, they haven't done any shootings in their schools. Apparently, Christians take care of their kids. That whole child abuse thing is kind of funny since there's actually no killing actually going on in religious classrooms. Isn't that something? Anywhere prayer is allowed or the Bible or Christianity, there doesn't seem to be any death.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. I mean, some people would look at the Nashville shooter and be like, well, that was a Christian school. But if you actually look a little more closely, that Christian school was part of a Christian denomination that's as liberal and leftist as you can get. <laughs> so it's really just an extension of, you know, the far left wackos getting well, shot I think by their that... own people.
1: I think that even, as some atheists I have to admit, whenever they see something dumb happen with the church, like, for instance, that church that endorsed the LGBT put their flags all over the building and all that, you know, the same mm-hmm. building that just mysteriously and supernaturally burned up in a fire recently. So, mm-hmm. And no, nobody caused that. Uh, there's a lot of people who are saying it was an act of God. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised, to be honest with you, but yeah. There you go.
0: Spontaneous combustion, ladies and gents.
1: You know, that actually used to be a scientific theory back then. Which part? The part of spontaneous combustion. They used to believe that people just blew up. They were just sitting in their damn chair in the porch. <laughs> scientists used to take that seriously.
0: I know there's a science behind it, but. Uh... I, I just don't
1: know what it is <laughs> oh the theory was that our electrical you know uh, stimuli would touch the wrong thing and then boom our bodies would blow up and all that but apparently there was just some kind of nonsense kind of like the the red devil of jersey
2: <laughs> well there were other factors too that would be like uh, how much alcohol you had in your body and, and uh whether or not you were overweight
1: or thin Oh yeah! If you're covered in moonshine and stuff, I'm pretty sure that'll light you up real good. <laughs> no, I
2: mean, I mean when you when you're drunk on it, when you have enough in your system, it's it's supposed to be a one of the things we used to talk about this in my uh, class in school.
1: Well, the yeah, moral yeah, of the yeah. story is, Dark Moon, we better stay away from the alcohols, then, huh? We don't want to blows ourselves up.
2: <laughs> uh, I got no problem with that. I don't drink.
0: Me neither.
2: Well, I should say I don't drink much. Every now and then, I take a uh, a drink of um, moonshine that a friend of mine sometimes makes, but I don't. I don't drink it crazily. I I take maybe one drink and it's it. To see
1: what it tastes like
2: now what I'm is your paid.
1: what is your <laughs> thoughts on this dtr i've actually had some non-believers say well you know jesus turned water into wine and stuff so if that's the case how could there be some actual issue it seems as though the Bible's very clear about moderation i i recall if i mean correct me if i'm wrong but there is a passage in the bible where i think hosea was having stomach issues, and it was suggested that he drink a little bit of something with alcohol in it in order to settle his stomach. What's your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, uh, I know. I don't know where I learned this from, but I learned somewhere along the way that uh, back in the time of Jesus, uh, they didn't have the way of purifying water that we do now. And so oftentimes wine was actually less distilled and less, you know, icky and dirty than actual water was back then. And so there was more of an incentive to drink that at times just because, you know, it's just not as contaminated as the water at the time.
2: But so yeah, they got a new
1: article. They got a new article on this shooter, and apparently he's claiming that he was bullied and all that. And you know what bullying means to these folks: if you misgender them or, you know, don't uh, say they're pretty that day, that'll get them all hiked up. The thing I don't understand is uh, why is it that when these shooters, uh, I hate to put it this way, but they get angry at a group of people for doing the thing to them. So why did they plan out this whole thing of explosives and grenades and and things that will kill random amount of people that had nothing to do with it? Why don't they specifically, you know, go after the people that actually annoyed them? I don't get it. You know what I mean? You understand?
0: Yep, I do, because that's what we've seen with all of the BLM Antifa stuff is they aren't going to like conservative or trump supporting towns or cities and rioting there and burning stuff down no they go to the big cities where their own people are running things and they're basically just destroying their own stuff destroying their own backyard to put it another way uh yeah they're just very stupid as lack of a better phrase but I mean, yeah, like you're saying, if if the evil orange man's bad and all of his supporters are evil and Christians are bad, why would you go to the places where all of your own people congregate and all of your own stuff is and hurt those people and destroy all your own stuff? Why aren't you going to the land of your enemies? I think the answer to that is that one, they're pansies, and two, they know if they were to go to conservative towns or cities where not a lot of people who think like them are in positions of power, they know they wouldn't be able to do half the crap that they do in the big cities run by Democrats. So they, they, go, and act, they go and act out where they basically are allowed to, which is in their own camps, controlled by Democrats.
2: Um, I think another reason, too, is the reason why they do what they do and uh, they want to take out everybody, is that... Okay, I don't know how you guys feel about this particular topic, but I believe that some of them have actual demons in their lives.
1: Hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's there's something wrong with these folks, uh, for sure. You know, besides the shooters and the issues, you've been hearing about all this stuff, and I'll probably end up making a video about this TTR, since you did ask me future ideas, but... People who are standing out in the highway, whether the the climate people or the folks who feel sorry for Gaza, I don't know what goes through their mind to think that, oh, I'm going to lay down in the highway and somehow this is going to make people sympathize. If I had a problem with what my country was doing. Wouldn't it be smart to go lay on the parking lot of the White House or the Capitol or something? That's where you would, you know, be the irritator. But out on the highway, it just seems like that's going to get you ran over. And it's also going to make a bunch of people heading to work pissed off and not give a rat's ass about what your plight is. You know what I mean? <laughs>
2: right?
0: Yeah. And that's exactly what I think, too. Uh, When you do stuff like that, where you're literally impeding people's ability to go to and from home and work like that, they're not going to be sympathetic at all to whatever your message is. Like, at all. Like you said, Brett, they'd be better off going to the institutions of power where the people inside could theoretically at least do something about their
1: message. Yeah, make it uncomfortable for Joe Biden. Now, the chances of him sleeping through 90% of it is a pretty high probability, but at least the people who actually have control or have the ability to do something when they're not in a comatose state or in dementia-like episode, those are the people you want to aggravate.
0: Exactly. Well, I think this is a perfect point to end the stream, but before I do, we got some advertising to do, ladies and germs. So I'm going to go ahead and activate the screen share because that's what friends do. And we'll go to this. Boom. So first up, if you are curious to see more of his content, I got Dark Darkmoon75's quarter channel right there on the screen. Hopefully you're seeing that. And he does a lot of content, or as he describes himself in his banner, a variety channel, gaming, live streams, topical videos. Sometimes it's religion. Sometimes it's tech stuff. Sometimes it's just plain old video games. You never know. So if you're interested in Dark Moon's content after seeing him on this show, that's where you can find his videos.
1: Looks pretty good, man. Looks very professional, Dark Moon. I would suggest moving the logo over a little bit so your own avatar doesn't cover it up. But I get what it says. It's it's a very, very professional-looking page. Very good.
0: Very much so.
1: Most and of them, yeah. Uh...
0: <laughs> and then, of course, as far as Brett and myself go, you can find us at a lot of the same places. For example, here's my Rumble channel, which you're probably watching the stream on anyway. Here's Brett's Rumble channel. He actually got a sub while we were doing the stream, so yay! <laughs> and we both getting popular, faster. am I? I wish we were getting popular, but we are growing with some steady rate, even if it's not as good as it could be. But we're definitely growing better here than on YouTube, so <laughs> that's for sure. And then, of course, I'm on X and so is Brett, which we're both streaming to our X accounts. And then, of course, there's my quarter channel, which is the best place to find me because it's the video site that I started, that I run, that I control, and that real freedom lives in as far as the purest sense of free speech goes. And then, of course, Brett has a quarter channel, too. Surprise, surprise. It's almost like he's a smart guy that knows where to pitch his tent. But the best place to watch all of Brett's stuff, because he puts all of his old and new stuff on it, as well as some other people's stuff, is his Spotify account, where you can see all of his videos, all of his shows, and where he reposts some of the shows he does with me and some of the stuff he's done with other people, which you can see right here on the screen. He's also been doing a bit of preservation of some other apologists, which is a good way to make sure their content's still on the internet when they eventually get censored from big tech
1: let's keep in mind ladies and gentlemen some of these folks i think their messages and some of their uh, ideas are good but some of them i do not enjoy personally just to point that out but i feel like their message should be preserved
0: so there's a lot of places you can find me there's a lot of places you can find brett you know where to find Dark Moon 75 And, of course, if you're watching this on Brett's YouTube channel, you know where to find all of us as far as the non-YouTube places go. And if you're watching either through Brett's streams on Rumble and X and you're interested in me, you know where you can find me. Same with me. If you're watching me on Rumble and X, you can find Brett at the same places too. So that's where we all are, and those are the best places to find us. And with that, it has been a great stream once again, and I look forward to seeing you guys next week when we return to the God TV Radio Podcast. Thanks for watching, everyone. Peace.